Section 24 of Short Stories from Locomotive Engineers Journal, Volume 52. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Short Stories from Locomotive Engineers Journal, Volume 52 by Various. Section 24. A Clever Ruse by Warren Miller. The first time I saw Daisy, she was coming over her father's broad acres on a horse whose lope was very like a rocking chair. She was riding a straddle with divided skirts. No other woman on the ranches thereabout would ride in any other costume. Barker was riding beside her, and the two made a very handsome pair. The brim of his sombrero was flattened against his forehead by the wind. A lariat hung at his saddle-bow, and his splendid figure was revealed by his costume, viz., flannel shirt and trousers with boots to his knee. Daisy had gone out from the east with her father, who became a sheep-raiser, and she had become fascinated with ranch life. Unfortunately, she had conceived a romantic idea of the genus cowboy, and Barker being physically a perfect type, she had persuaded herself, or rather he had persuaded her that he was just the man for her. I say unfortunately because he was not an educated man and in every way beneath her. There were other features about him to render him undesirable, which will appear presently. The couple passed me, all of us saluting, though they were unknown to me, and I rode on to the ranch house, where I had business with John Nolan, with reference to a large purchase of wool. While dickering with him on his veranda, up the roadway came the couple I had met, and alighted at the foot of the steps. Throwing their bridle reins over a post, they walked up on to the veranda. Then I learned that Daisy was Nolan's daughter. As the pair passed into the house, I noticed a cloud flit over the face of the girl's father. I knew by Barker's bearing toward her that he was in love with her, and I judged that his attentions were not relished by Nolan. But he said nothing to me then, and we went on with our dickering. When I arose to go, he said, "'There's no place about here in which you will be comfortable except my house. Send for your traps.' I accepted the invitation, especially as I was pleased at being under the same roof with Miss Daisy. I knew she had a lover, but my attraction for her did not then go so far as to intend to come between them. I merely liked the idea of being near her during my stay. But I stayed a good while, and it was not very long before she and I each made a discovery. I discovered that I wanted her, and she discovered that she didn't want Barker. Meanwhile, I found out something else that he had become frighteningly jealous of me, and if I took her away from him, he would probably kill me. At first he and I spoke to each other when we met either on the ranch or elsewhere. Then he only noticed me at the Nolan house. I thought it best after a while to remove to the so-called hotel a mile from Nolan's. If anything happened between Barker and myself, I preferred that it should not happen under Nolan's roof. So one day I removed my luggage to my new quarters. One morning, I was sitting on the porch of the hotel, smoking a briarwood pipe. Barker came out of the bar room where he had been drinking and took a seat about thirty feet from me. I didn't know he was there till, turning my head, I saw him out of the corner of my eye, sighting his revolver at me. Naturally, I started. Hold on there, said Barker. Your pipe makes a fine target. We don't allow people to smoke such expensive pipes out here. The words were scarcely out of his mouth when I felt a faint tick on the bowl of the pipe, heard the crack of a gun, and knew that a bullet had passed through the pipe. Hold up, he growled, as I was about to rise. Your pipe don't draw with a hole in it, but it's still a mighty good target. 
I snatched a look at him. He was evidently under the influence of liquor. I felt sure that if I didn't let him shoot at my pipe, he would shoot at me and nerved myself to stand another shot. Indeed, this was all I could do, for I was unarmed. But a cold chill ran down my back, and a cold sweat stood out all over me. Nevertheless, I put up a pretty good front. I sat with comparative composure, occasionally letting a faint cloud of tobacco smoke escape from between my lips, but not daring to move a hair's breadth for fear of interfering with the man's aim. Several persons from inside the hotel, having heard a shot, came out to discover who had been killed. They arrived just in time to see the second shot, the top of the bowl of my pipe cut off. They at once took in the situation, and seeing me coolly puffing, not knowing my internal condition, they cried out, Good pluck, stranger. Steady nerve. He ain't no tenderfoot, and such like compliments. Presently, a third shot shattered what was left of the bowl of my pipe, and only the stem remained in my mouth. Whether my nerve made Barker half ashamed of himself, or that he was headed off by the admiration of the others, I don't know but he desisted from further shooting. I fancy, however, he was satisfied with what he had doubtless intended for a warning that if I took Daisy Nolan away from him, I would have to face sure death. The witnesses urged me to go in and have something, but I declined, saying that I was anxious for a smoke and would go upstairs for another pipe. The truth is, I wanted a chance to go where I could, unobserved, give way to my feelings for a few moments, they having been controlled only by a most desperate effort. When I was alone, I staggered to the bed, fell on it, and for a few minutes trembled like a leaf. But when I began to recover, I started to get mad at the same time. Men will fight more desperately for a woman than for any other cause, and it occurred to me that Daisy, being the bone of contention, if she preferred me, either Barker or I must die. I spent some time considering what to do, then went to the ranch intending to offer myself to Daisy. If she refused me, I would leave the field at once to all suitors. If she accepted me, I would have it out with Barker. I found Miss Daisy very excited. She had heard of Barker's shooting escapade and had turned bitterly against him. I told her that I wanted her, and if she wanted me, I was willing to settle the matter between Barker and myself. Her reply was all I could have asked for, but she positively forbade my coming into collision with my rival. I told her frankly that I believed he would kill me if I married her, and that the matter had better be settled before the wedding. Being a woman, she wished to get round the matter by subterfuge, and for the time being would consent to nothing definite. Daisy was very fond of an old rancher called Jake Hutchins. To her, he was Uncle Jake. A day or two after Barker's shooting, as I was riding over the country on horseback, Hutchins came up behind me and ambled alongside of me. I heard about the shooting o' your pipe out in your mouth, he said. Little Daisy was telling me about it. Oh, it was Miss Nolan who told you, was it? Yes, and what's more, she asked me to suggest some way o' settling the matter without blood spilling. That's impossible, said I. So I thought it fust, but arter a while I thought of a plan. Barker's mighty proud o' his shooting, and he's pretty much made up his mind that he's lost Daisy. I reckon he'd agree to settle the matter by a trial o' skill between him and you. I'm no shot. Such a contest would give Miss Daisy to him, and she doesn't want him. Not so fast. You don't need to be much o' a shot. Could you hit a hen's egg at twenty feet? 
I might hit one, perhaps in two or three shots. Well, I give Daisy my plan, and she's decided to try it. Here's a note for you, and here's a note for Barker. Whichever hits a hen's egg with a forty-two, the most out in five shots, she'll marry. He handed me a note to that effect from Daisy and showed me another he was commissioned to deliver to Barker. Do you consent, he added, drawing rein. Yes, I said. I consent to anything Daisy desires. Without waiting for more, he turned about and rode back in the direction whence he came. The next day, Uncle Jake informed me that Barker had gladly agreed to the terms. On the appointed day, I made my appearance at the barn, wondering what was to be the upshot of this singular contest. I found an egg suspended over a basket by a fine thread. I won the toss, and with it the right to fire five consecutive shots at the eggs. I missed the first and the fourth, but smashed the eggs on the second, third, and fifth. For my life, I could not see why I had not lost. It would be nothing for Barker to hit the eggs every time. A new egg was attached to the thread for him to shoot at, and, whipping out his revolver, he fired with apparent carelessness. He was surprised to see the egg oscillate violently, but the shell was not broken. The next time he fired, he took careful aim, but with no better success. He was thunderstruck. Since I had hit the egg three times, he could now only tie me. Barker aimed long and carefully at the center and sent the egg bobbin, but still, the shell was unbroken. Flinging his revolver on the barn floor, he strode away. I knew that Barker had been tricked, but could not conceive how. It appeared to me that nothing could be more fair than the trial. I asked Uncle Jake how he had managed to let me, a poor shot, beat the best shot in the territory. He would not tell me how it was done. Barker was never seen there again. Daisy had induced him to sign a promise that if I beat him, he would leave the field clear for me. I married Daisy and took her east with me. She said she had had enough of the Wild West and had no further use for cowboys. Not considering them the romantic creatures she had thought them when she first went to the country. She learned the secret of the shooting match from Uncle Jake the day we were married and told it to me on our wedding journey. The meat had been taken from the egg Barker shot at, and the featherweight shell had been moved aside each time by the wind of the ball. To hit it was impossible. Uncle Jake had learned the trick from a prestidigitator who had passed through the locality with a traveling circus. End of section 24. Recording by Stephen Kinford, Sharon Township, Ohio, amateur radio call sign N8WB.